Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. We'll be in Colossians chapter 3 today. And I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. If you will, go ahead and stand to your feet with me if you're able. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 5 through 11. Hear now the reading of God's word. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free but Christ is all and in all very word of God amen today I want to preach on this topic an identity driven life identity driven life before we go any further let's pray together father even now I do ask God that that you would stand in my body everything I say and do would be pleasing to you I thank you for the word of God and even passages like this that are hard, that are here, but it's good in the passage, God. I pray that you would decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Father, hide me behind your cross so that your spirit goes forth and we hear the word that you have for us this morning. Have your way in this place. Let our hearts be ready to receive what you have for us. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together, amen. Amen. You can be seated. An identity-driven life. Well, I know that um, shopping is all done online now, right? You know, thanks to the pandemic. But I need y'all to go way back with me a couple years ago. Y'all remember going to shoe stores? That was a question. Y'all remember going to shoe stores and, and you would go to the shoe store and you were going to get new shoes and you walked in and your shoes that were on your feet are just, just beat up, battered. It's time to get a new one and you, you try on the new shoe that you like and you put those new shoes on your feet and you take the old ones. Come on, somebody's already, already there. You, where you do it? You put them in the box. You put them in the box, and the shoe salesman comes. You, you want those shoes? No, you can just throw those things away. I, I got my new shoes on. I'm, I'm ready to go. And see, the thing about these new shoes is that as you wear them, they, they, they're kind of stiff when you first put them on. They, the leather hasn't been broken in. You're you're walking kind of funny, and you're just trying to get used to these new shoes. And the thing is that when this happens, sometimes it causes some pain in your feet. Sometimes there's, the shoe can be hurting a little bit. And the reason being is because your foot had gotten used to the old shoe. And now the new shoe, because it's brand new, is kind of reshaping and reforming your foot. It's got some arch support in that thing. It's... Uh, the heel is still there. The, the balls of your feet. Some of y'all have this issue like I do. You, you still got padding there when you're walking on this new shoe. So it, it kind of feels a little funny. It kind of hurts a little bit. And what it's doing is helping to reshape your foot. I, I just bought my wife a pair of these. Um, it's called UFO sandals. Y'all ever heard of these? UFOs. You've probably seen an ad. They're not the prettiest thing, but they're, they're supposed to help your feet and feel better, especially if you work out a lot, you put these on uh, to recover and you walk around in them and they kind of massage and help your feet a little bit 
uh, and make you feel, they kind of reshape even though you, you may not need the help, but your feet are painful. And she, I spent all this money, and she say, well, they hurt. They hurt, baby. They hurt. They hurt. And I'm like, okay, they hurt. And she kept telling me this, and then she came one night, and she said, well, I, they don't hurt anymore. They feel great. And I said, what happened? She said, well, the reason they were hurting is because I was walking around all day with my heels on, and then I was walking around with my old shoes on, and I would come home and put these UFO sandals on. And what they were doing is trying to get my feet adjusted the right way. And I had to get used to wearing these sandals, and now they feel like the best thing since sliced bread. See, family, what, 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 I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is that putting on new things after you only knew the old is a good thing. But it takes some time getting used to. In essence, going from the old to the new might not feel good all the time. But it will always be best for you in the long run. See, Paul in our passage is he's urging the reader in the church. He's saying, be done with the old you and, and, and put on your new identity in Christ. But as we'll see today... This is not always easy. Sometimes it's just flat out hard, y'all. It's just painful. It's hard. But in the long run, it's good and it's freeing. Hear me. My main point today is that the Christian has to learn to live from their new identity in Christ versus their old identity. I got four points. I know good preachers got three. I got four. So y'all stick with me. Number one, be who you are now. Keyword now. We're going to spend a lot of time here. Be who you are now. Number two, be honest and aware. Number three, watch what you put in you. And number four, the playing field is level. Let me say them again. Be who you are now. Be honest and aware. Watch what you put in you. And number four, the playing field is level. This all leads to our passage today, which is still in the context of the passage from last week where Paul here has walked through chapters 1 and 2, and now he's venturing into chapters 3, where in chapters 1 and 2, he was combating uh, the way of theology, this different theological uh, dysfunction and things that were coming into the land, and he's combating it by telling them who Jesus is and what he's done. He tells them that Jesus is preeminent. He is before and after all, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Lord of creation. He is the head of the church. Paul says that Jesus was God and he gave his life as a ransom for all when he died on the cross with those nails in his hands and nails in his feet. He, he died satisfying the wrath of God toward our sin. And he rose from the grave as we celebrated last week, three days later, defeating Satan's sin and death. Now, Paul reminds us here in this passage that the church, that, that, that Jesus has saved you. It hasn't been you. Jesus has saved you. And that now that you know this, trust him for your life. So don't trust anybody else. Don't trust anything else, not even yourself. Trust him. For the old you is gone and the new has come. You have been baptized with Christ. So, so as we celebrated last week, that, that, that baptism is is, is you're being buried with Christ in your baptism. You're going under the water. You die with Christ in your baptism, and now you rise out of the water in the symbolic nature to walk in newness of life just as he rose from the grave. Now you are a new creation. Your focus is different, and your life is to be different. In essence, Paul wants the church to understand that their identity now as a believer in Jesus is a son or daughter of the Most High God. Today, Paul, he further dives into this, this topic, this understanding of a believer's identity being in Christ. And really what he's really trying to do is he's trying to make, make it clear. Don't miss this. It's that, that your identity informs your activity, not vice versa. Let me say that again. Your identity informs your activity. Don't flip it. See, if your activity informs your identity, then your activity is now an idol. 
You worship that thing. It's too high in your life. According to verse 5, it's an idol. As a believer, again, you are God's child, which now informs the way you live your life. Paul is trying to point out practically how the Christian is to live in this new identity. But hear me. This is, this is more about how we should live because of what Christ has done on our behalf versus what we should do now. This isn't some type of religious, moralistic kind of spout that, that Paul's on and saying you got to do this and you got to do that to appease God, to avoid hell. You got to do all these to get in his good graces. No, again, Paul, he's trying to help the reader live in this new identity as a believer. He begins in verse 5. Look at it with me. He says, Put to death what is earthly in you. Notice he doesn't say watch out for. He doesn't say avoid it. He says put to death. This means it has no place in your life. What's earthly in you, no place in your life now. You are different, as I said last week. You are a believer and your focus has changed to what is honor, honoring Christ versus what honors yourself. Paul uses such strong language here, not so much to say that you need to work hard and toil to put to death. Instead, he's merely saying that the old you is not you anymore. You are a new creation. Verse 7, this is why he says this is what you once or used to do. You used to walk in these ways. So what he's saying is be keenly aware, be aware when the old you begins to rise up. He says, keep your mind on Jesus. This is why he begins in chapter 3 saying, keep your mind on the things that are set above, namely Christ, because verse 5, Tony, how many of y'all know? You out here, you, you're trying to do right, and that old you starts rising up in you. So, hey, you know, you out here trying to do, do what's good, and, and you're trying to be good. You're trying to move away from this thing, but it keeps on calling your name back. Come on, Jay. I'm trying, I'm trying to get away from that thing. But it keeps pulling you back. The old you just keeps rising up in you. He says, put it to death. The old is gone. Think about it. It's like the old shoes. It's like taking off some old clothes and now putting on the new. You don't want the old clothes anymore. You done lost all that weight. You want to get rid of that. You got the new clothes on. You know what I'm saying? You want to get the new clothes on. Some of y'all missing it. In the old days, ancient days, when folks would get baptized, what they would actually do is they would wear old clothes to get baptized, and then they would have a new set of clothes afterwards. So as they got baptized in the old clothes, the old them was going away in a symbolic nature, and then they would put on a new set of clothes symbolizing that, that they're now a new creation in Jesus. They're brand new. Paul is saying the old you is dead. He essentially is saying be who you are now not who you used to be. I was at the gym this week. I play a lot of ball. Um, Jay knows all about this because that jumper is fire. And uh, I play a lot of ball at the gym. And um, I was there this week, and there was a, there's a semi-pro basketball player, and there was another guy who's just a plain gym rat. He, he ain't good at all. He just, just at the gym. You know the cat that just talks so much in the gym and it's horrible. He's in the gym talking all this messy. You know all about that. Just talking mess. And, and, and the dude is, and the, and the semi-pro basketball player is going back and forth with them. They're just arguing back and forth. I can beat you one-on-one. -on -one. I got a better jumper than you. And this other guy gets up off the sideline. He goes to the semi-pro athlete and he says, stop arguing with him. He said, you're not a gym rat anymore. You are a semi-pro basketball player. Be who you are now. And I was like, ooh, that was good. <laughs> he said, you don't have anything to prove to him. Be who you are now. Essentially, that's what Paul is telling the church. He's saying the same thing. Be who you are now, not who you used to be. Now, he further illustrates this by using the subject that we all wrestle with in one way or another. He says, put to death what is earthly in you. And he says five things afterwards. All of these, here it is, have to do with sex based off uh, the way the text is written. And I, I know 
This is a touchy subject, especially in today's society. But stick with me. I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. He says, put to death sexual immorality, which in the original writing, sexual immorality would have been pronounced porneia. Porneia, which means any sexual activity outside of a monogamous marital relationship between a man and a woman is impure or sin. He then says impurity. He says passion, evil desires, and covetousness, all of which are self-giving versus being married in a loving relationship or just loving another person. They're they're self-serving. Now, these last four that he mentions here aren't exclusive to sex, but Paul uses sex as an example. Don't miss this, because in one way or another, it's a desire we all have which causes a host of different issues in our lives, like identity issues, temptations, or just pure selfishness. Now, before you get caught up in this whole list here that I just mentioned, I need you to hear me again. What Paul is trying to get the believer to understand is to be who you are now in Jesus. Not what you feel, not what you think, but what does the Bible say about you? Thus, what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be who you are in Christ? In short, what I feel about myself as as true might not always be or what I believe as my identity or what other people say about me might not always be true. Hear me, hear me, hear me. I know this is problematic because we live in a world that celebrates personal expression. Be who you want to be. Whatever you feel like today, that's who you can be. That's who you are. And please don't hear me when I'm saying this, especially on the matter of sex, just talking about LGBTQ plus community, because I'm not. We all, every one of us, have sexual desires that are in many ways against what the Bible says is right in God's eye. So this is for everyone. And again, Paul, at the heart of what he's saying, even bringing up sex here, do not miss this. He's saying once that might have been your identity, it's not anymore. It's you're new. Put it to death. So this isn't, again, hear me, about sex. So don't get lost in that. He's just using this as an example because it reaches every one of us on one level or another. We're somewhere on there. We're tempted. We got something going on. We struggle with this thing. So please hear me. This identity piece, which it's really about, is key to our walks. It's key to understanding who we truly are. People are wrestling with this thing. We're wrestling. I mean, I, I, I was just after uh, Easter Sunday, I was t- on a text there with some pastors, and they were asking, like, man, I, you ever had a furry coming to your church? And I said, and I'm not trying to be funny, but I said, what's a furry? And he said, it's a new phenomenon. And I don't think it's new. I actually just researched. He said, a furry is a person that, that literally thinks and feels that they are a furry animal. And so they dress up in costumes, furry animal costumes. They also have furry sex, a sexual orientation, all these things. That's what furries are. I was like, I never heard of that. I even read the, uh, even some months ago that in some parts of the world, pedophilia is a sexual orientation now. So hear me again. I'm not singling anybody out by what we're saying here in this text. Paul is trying to make this clear. He's saying that the believer, who you are now, you got to be who you are now in Jesus and live as he did, putting to death the things of the world, putting to death the things that the world deems as correct, that the Bible does not deem as correct. Now, I know it's quiet in here because this is not a popular message. But I love you enough to preach the Bible and not words that tickle your ears. That's truth. The Bible always is truthful and freeing. But at the same time, it may not feel the best. Paul, or should I say, the word of God is saying that something like sex 
sexual orientation, how we feel about it or practice it, although we may think or feel it is right, if the Bible says it's not right, it's not right in God's eyes. Therefore, no matter how you feel or think about it, if something's not biblical, it's not Christian. And we wrestle with this. We wrestle with this and we argue with one another over this. Doctrinal statements and theological statements have changed because of what Paul is saying all throughout the Bible. And, and what ends up happening is we take the word of God and we start twisting this thing. And we, we don't take it as is, as truth. And we start twisting it. And we're like, well, he couldn't possibly be saying that sex before marriage is, 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 is a sin because I, I love him and he loves me. And, and we're engaged and we're good to go. I mean, he couldn't possibly be saying that. He couldn't, I feel this way and my, my friend is, is going through this and I, I mean this is the way I am. He can't be possibly saying that homosexual, homosexual is wrong. I mean he can't be saying that, that that's, that's wrong. I mean or, or better yet, I mean I, I got struggles and, and he can't possibly be saying that masturbation, pornography is wrong when the world says it's cool and actually tell me to do it. Paul says put it to death. In essence, don't miss this, don't prize your lifestyle over your identity. Don't prize your lifestyle over your identity. This is why I continually say your activity is not your identity. Because the way the world identifies you is based off of what you do. And what happens is we begin to believe that, oh, that's what culture says. That's what I, that, that must be who I am. So if you play basketball, you're somehow a basketball player. If you help the sick, you must be in the medical field. You work in a courtroom, you must be a lawyer. But in God's kingdom, you're a son or daughter of the most high God because of what Jesus did on your behalf. So even if you struggle in your activity with temptations and all these things, maybe even identity, the Christian is to live from a place of being a child of God, which means that we have to know what it means to be a child of God. And I know, I know someone in here saying, well, Pastor D, you don't get it. Whatever my wrestle is, whatever I'm going through, I, I, I've had this as long as I can remember. I was born with it, all these different things. I, that's cool, that's cool. But when you came to know Jesus, you got a new identity now. That doesn't mean that your desire shifted all of a sudden and it threw out the window, but you have a new identity, which means that now we have to figure out what it means to live out this new identity and to live from it. Friends, I, I know. I know this isn't the most palatable message. Because for many of us, it's in direct opposition to what we feel or we think is right. This is why, if I'm honest, there's a whole generation of people that don't want anything to do with Jesus. Because when you come to know Jesus, you can't stay the same as you were before. That's not necessarily in your work, but when he saves you, you that does, you're not necessarily going to stay the same person as you were before you knew Jesus. Because the old you is gone, and the new has come. You have been buried with Christ in baptism, and now you've risen to walk in newness of life. You are a new creation, which now means you got to learn how to live out of this being a new creation. And this is where the Christian walk becomes real problematic, because this is where most believers stop. We don't grow past accepting Jesus as Savior to accepting him now as Lord. We stop. We like the benefits that God offers. Eternal life, freedom from eternal damnation, uh, and even some of the blessings on this earth and knowing Jesus, but we don't like that my life might have to change. It's like the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 10. Some of you have read this, but he comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I want to follow you. I've, I've followed all the commandments. I've given my life to all the commandments. I've obeyed all the rules. I've done all this, and I, I think I, I, I'm ready. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, ah, 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 There's one other thing, buddy. You got a lot of stuff. You got a lot of money. You need to go sell everything that you have and then follow me. The rich young ruler turns his head walks away with his head down. 
because he treasured what he had more than treasuring Jesus. See, we don't like that we might have to possibly lay down our lives when we follow Jesus. And see what happens, don't miss it, is we now never fully experience Jesus and true life. We're trying to carry all this thing, all these things with us. Jesus, take all of this with me, and, and Jesus said, accept you as you are, but that don't mean all of that's going to stay. So Matthew 16, 24, I love this verse. He says, lay down your cross to follow me, but if you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it anyway. We, we, like to, we like to take all this stuff. Come on, Jesus. It's like, no, no, no. Let the, bear, let the dead bury the dead. Let go, let go of all your stuff and then, then come with me. Come on, come on here. I, I got more to offer to you. Hear me? We like to pigeonhole Jesus. We only come to him when we need him. And when he doesn't show up the way we want him to, our faith now is shaken. Or better yet, we're like the rich young ruler and we, I did this, Jesus, I did this, I did this, I did that. I deserve a blessing now. And then when he doesn't bless you, your faith is shaken. That's not Christianity. Jesus is not some genie in the bottle. He's not just an award, award giver. He is a life giver. He's a life giver who wants you to experience true life and freedom by walking in him, which in most cases is against what the world says and what we say or feel as right. Again, I know this isn't popular feel-good preaching, but it is Bible. Paul says, verse 6, the wrath of God is coming. And friends, hear me. When we hear wrath, we like to turn off our ears. This is not a bad thing. This is not something where you now, because he said the wrath of God is coming, you need to pick up all your stuff and go perform and do things the right way because God is coming. No, 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 no. He's just saying that God is a just God. He's a just God who cannot stand sin. So in justice, he has to judge rightly. And there will be something or some kind of consequence because of the wrong that's been done. And a lot of times we look at this as it's wrong. But it's a good thing that God doesn't just let everything go on the way it's going and there's no consequence for it because there would then be no standard of justice or righteousness. And nobody in their right mind wants to live in a world with no justice and no peace. This is why uproars all over the nation happen at the murder uh, of George Floyd when, when a police officer can sit on his neck for nine minutes and murder him on camera there's uproars all over the place, or Breonna Taylor, uproars all over the place. Or we can go back to January 6th, which we, we, we may have forgotten, but the reality is there was a riot on the Capitol, and we're on Twitter and tweeting all about it, and we're saying all this. We were disgusted. You know why? Because we desire righteousness and justice because we're all formed in the image of a just God, whether you believe or you don't. You are an image bearer of a just God. But here's the issue. And the passage hits on it. The issue is that sometimes God's justice goes against our nature. Whew. It goes against our nature, or, or should we say sin nature? You see, sin is, is missing the mark of God's holiness. It's, it's literally, you heard Pastor Steve talk about this a few weeks ago, where you're pulling, pulling the bow back, an archer's pulling the bow back, and you're, you're, you're trying to hit the bullseye in front of you and let go of it, and you miss the whole thing. Steve would say that, that the, 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 bow doesn't, that the, the arrow doesn't even leave the bow. That's how far off we are in our desires and our actions from holiness in God. And we've missed the mark totally. We haven't even shot the arrow. We're naturally rebellious against God. David says in the Psalms, that he was formed in his mother's womb in iniquity. And so there's this internal battle, internal struggle that we go through, all of us, because much of what we desire is not what God desires. This, again, is why Paul uses such emphatic language like, put it to death. Don't make any room for what is earthly in you. Walk in Christ instead. Now, with that, I, I got to say this. Um, Please don't leave here and do as some do and just go out and preach against wrong sexual ethics and all this like you're holier than thou and this and that. 
and because the Bible says this against somebody's lifestyle, that ain't, that's not loving anybody. That's not, that's not sharing Christ with anybody. That's not what the Bible says do. Don't do that. I mean, because we could be on the other side and be too legalistic and have purity culture and you find your, your, your faith and your, your salvation and what you do. That's not what Paul's saying here. Then on the other side, hear me, hear me, hear me. Don't, be, don't, don't, don't look at the Bible and because your friend and people around you are going through something and you, you make them now a victim because the Bible is against their lifestyle. So don't, don't twist the scripture to fit somebody's, somebody's life either. Leave it as is. I know that's tough. Near me, because th- this is not an exhaustive list of sin, somehow sexual issues and things like that. We like to put it up here. No, it's all level. And if you want a list of do's or don'ts, if you really want that, go read Leviticus or Deuteronomy, Exodus. Make your head hurt. Romans 1. <laughs> do it if you want to. But hear me, that's not, the, that's not the point of this passage. That's not what Paul is getting at. Paul hasn't laid out any rules here in this passage, and he's not trying to get us to follow rules either as a Christian, but instead he's saying as a believer, you're to become more like Jesus. Again, he's saying that your identity as a Christ follower is is, is to inform your activity, not vice versa. I keep repeating this because this is an issue in our society. Too many times our activity informs who we actually are And Paul is saying the opposite. Let your identity as a Christ follower inform your activity, which if you haven't gathered by now, friends, this is extremely hard. This is a struggle that we all have. So how do I do this then, Pastor? For starters, listen, this means you have to be honest about who you are and your struggles. This takes ruthless awareness As one writer would say to the point that we don't put ourselves in situations that make it hard for us to follow or be like Christ. And if we can't avoid them, then make sure you have some good accountability around you. People that love Jesus more than they love you, so they push you back to Jesus. If you you can't drink, just examples, if you can't drink, you can't even be around to drink without getting drunk, then you probably shouldn't be around alcohol or go to the bar with your friends. If you can't stop having sex with your partner and you're not married, then you might need to break up or go on a whole bunch of public dates. If you can't have a smartphone without going through it and looking at pornography, then you probably should start off with covenant eyes where people get a report of what you're looking at. If that don't work, then you need to get a flip phone. And see, the thing is that we look at these and we're like, oh, that's simplistic. That's very simple, but, and I can do that, or, or I don't have to do it. I can manage these things in my life, but hear me. It's when we think we can do all the simple things in our life that get us into trouble, and we end up in a place we never should have been. And please do not hear me being legalistic with this. I'm just saying be honest. Be honest and don't even give the old you a foothold. Some of you all are with me, but I don't know if everyone is. Can I be real honest and open with you all, just a little bit vulnerable? Is that okay? I I just want to bring this home a bit. I don't want you to. I want I want you to know that I relate with it. I'm not just preaching at you. Um, I grew up in Gary, Indiana. Many of you know this, right across. water. I grew up in Gary, and I grew up without a father in the household uh, for my my upbringing, uh, my childhood, and that's no fault to my mother, but I grew up rather quickly because of this. I didn't have, I I figured out things a lot on my own, and um, I remember seeing my first Playboy magazine when I was probably four or five years old. You know, there was something that I saw very early on in age, and then my we didn't have internet and stuff back then. I'm dating myself, but internet, we don't, I don't even think it was out yet. Um, and so most of my friends and I, we learn a lot from VHS movies. Y'all know what that is? It's not a DVD. <laughs> VHS tapes, and we would watch movies that we shouldn't have watched, like Minister Society. I watched that, and I'm like, I can't believe I was watching this as a kid. Like, y'all, don't go watch that movie, y'all. <laughs> like... But I saw things, and I learned a lot, uh, is namely sex from movies and things around me. And so when I got 
in the high school, standout high school athlete in the state of Indiana, as well as the nation as football player. It wasn't uh, drugs or alcohol or partying that enticed me. It was women. If I'm just honest, it was just women. I never grew up having a proper sex talk. Nobody sat me down and said, this is the birds and the bees. I didn't know what that was. And this is what it looks like. And I didn't know Jesus or anything, so I wasn't privy to what the Bible said, nor did my friends. But we thought of ourselves as good people. Got good grades. We do well in sports. We're good people out here. And I remember having my first actual sex talk, and it was after I had just given my life to Christ. I was 18, almost 19 years old. And they sat us down and they talked about it, just the spiritual union that happens when you, when you have sex with another person and how God has deemed this for marriage and keeping the marriage bed undefiled and this union that happens there. And I'm like, okay, I know Jesus and I, I didn't know any of this stuff. This is all making sense why he would want it here and the spiritual intimacy and the oneness that happens there. And I said, okay, well, now that I know Christ and I... I and I know what he did for me, how he loved me, and he gave his life up for me on the cross, and he, he died, he was buried, he rose from the grave. I, 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 I want to live my life in accordance to what he, he says for me. I, I, he's been good to me, and I want to be, I, I be good in return. I want to please him with my life, and he, he's working in me to, to do this. So I said, look, look, I'm going to be celibate. Now, that sounds way easier than it actually is. I mean, it's, it's real hard to take the cookie out the cookie jar and take a whole bunch of bites off that thing and then put it back. Some of y'all going to go with me and y'all get that on the way home. Y'all didn't. Y'all missed it. And so because I didn't trust myself, I had a whole bunch of accountability around me. Uh, when, I, when I was dating Kaylee, I had accountability all around me. Uh, CJ was my mentor at the time. I literally told him, Doc, I don't trust myself. I need you to call me every night around 11 or 12 o'clock. And he would call me every night. And I'd say, I need you to be straightforward. And he would say, D, where are you? I'm with Kaylee. Where are your hands? <laughs> and I'd tell him, he'd say, it's time to go. And he would stay on the phone until I left. That was every day he would call me. And when Steve came to know Jesus, Steve, I, we were accountability partners. And more so, Steve was a third wheel on all our dates, me and Kaylee. And so... <laughs> Y'all, God bless that brother, man. He's married now, got a kid. Jesus looked out, but he was always there, man. He, he saved me from a lot. But what I'm getting at is I made sure not to try to put myself in situations that I couldn't get out of, which meant a whole lot of public dates with Kaylee. I, could, I mean, she's fine. I just, I, that's my wife. She's all mine, but I think she's fine. And I, I couldn't handle myself. I couldn't even hold her hand at times. I'm not lying. To the point that I, I remember all these boundaries, and we went to my, my bachelor party right before we got married, and I said, look, I, I just want to hoop. I want to play basketball. So we rented out a gym, and we played basketball all night. And towards the end, you have to understand that I was probably the first one of my crew to know Jesus. I was actually, and um, getting married for sure at that young age. And none of them really knew Jesus or really what was going on in my life. And so we get done playing basketball. They were like, man, this is cool. Bachelor party. All right, y'all, let's go to the strip club. And I was like, no. I actually got really upset. And now I look back. The reality is they didn't know any better. They didn't know Jesus. They're, they're looking. They're like, man, this is a bachelor party. That's what we're supposed to be doing. This is your last night of freedom. But what I'm really getting at is that and I'm not trying to make myself a hero example. I had plenty of mess ups. That's why I have accountability. I could not do it on my own. But the reality is, in order for me to walk upright before the Lord, I had to know myself. I had to be honest about it. And by God's grace, I was able to be celibate for three years before me and Kaylee got married. By God's grace. So be honest about your struggles. Be honest about where you are. Secondly, hear this. Know that God is the one working in you to change your desires. As you read and you soak up the word of God, your desires will be formed more into what God wants versus what you want to do. 
I was able to be celibate not because of how strong I am or my willpower. I told you, I, I couldn't put the cookie back in the cookie jar. That wasn't me. I, I just didn't know it. I, I didn't have enough strength. I was able to do it because the more I read this Bible, the more I read about how God loves me and I understood more what Christ did on my behalf. And because of that, my desire grew to want to live for him. Amen. And see, the funny thing about that is that the inverse reaction still happens to this day. If... I'm struggling or if I'm, if, whether it's mentally, physically, tempted, all these different things, it always goes back to whether or not I've been in my word. See, if I'm in the word of God, then I struggle less. My, I, my mentality, I can keep my mind on Jesus. I can, I can combat things with scripture. But if I'm not in the word, that's what I'm struggling. One of my mentors early on, he, he gave me a Bible and he wrote this uh, in the front, he said, and I, I write it in all my Bibles now, he said, sin will try to keep me from this book, but this book will keep me from sin. Feed your soul with God's word and let him form you and shape you in your identity, which will now turn and ch- in turn change your actions. It's not you doing the work. But it's God working and willing in in you for his good pleasure, his good will. This is why Paul spent so much time in the first couple of chapters telling us all that Jesus has done so we don't get it twisted. Christ has done the work. We are to walk by faith in Jesus now. So with that, listen, you got to beware of what you put in you. Because if it's not Bible, it's something else. And one day, whatever you put in you, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. And to this end, look back with me at the verse 8 in the passage. Paul says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul now says, put away five things. Put away five things that come from your mouth. Remember that. They come out of your mouth. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene or filthy language. Jesus is pretty straightforward about this in the book of Mark, chapter 7, verse 20 through 23. He says, it's not what goes in the man, talking about food. It's not about what you eat. It's not about what happens. What comes into you that defiles you, it's about what goes out of you, what comes out of your mouth, what's in your heart. It comes out of your mouth, the words that come out. That's what Paul is getting here, your words that come out, all of this. He's saying, beware of all that. Put them away. The reason being, listen, is because what you say sometimes, when you say this, say things out of your mouth to people, your words linger in someone's mind. They can be misconstrued. They can be hurtful even shaping in a bad way. I would venture to say in a room like this that there are still some of us in here that are being negatively shaped in a way because of someone close to you saying something negative. Something like, you'll never be anything in your life. And so now, with everything you do, you work really hard. Or better yet, you're a woman in here, and they said, you'll never be able to do what men do. And so now you, instead of working from a place of freedom, you work from a place of achievement and performance. Better yet, as a black man, I, I, I know and I've been told many times that I have to work twice as hard as my white counterparts. And while this is sadly true in America in many ways, if I don't watch it, it informs the way I walk with God working. In fact, I remember there was a prominent white pastor here in the city. I will not say his name because you know him. And he, he came to me when I was planting this church this is nine years ago, and he said, he said, Derek, you're trying to plant a multi-ethnic church in Chicago? You will never be able to do that. You'll never be able to start a multi-ethnic church in the city. You are an educated black man with a master's degree. Why don't you go plant a church in Hyde Park or Kenwood and reach educated black people? Y'all took everything in me not to slap this dude. (laughs) But here's, here's the thing. 
going to say it. But uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Nine years later, the words are still there. Hear me, words, they cut. They can cut deeply. So Paul says, beware of what you put in you so that wholesome talk comes out of you. A good place to start, I know some people are wondering this, where do you start with this? Namely, it's, it's staying in the word of God. What does the word of God say? It's also being around good Christian community, having people around you that love Jesus and love you. And by doing so, you will not only put off the old self or the old you, but you'll, all, you'll now be continually, verse 10, renewed in the knowledge after the image of your creator. You'll be renewed as you read the word of God. Friends, that is what the believer is going for. We're not dying to our old self to say we did it, we made it happen, but instead it's to be more like Jesus who made us. But hear me with this. You got to be gracious to yourself. You got to be gracious. You're going to mess up on this thing. You're not going to be perfect. While you're dying and trying to put off the old and trying to put on the new, you're, you're going to mess up. Hear me, hear me. You, you, you can't go from dirty, grimy, and all this mess to all of a sudden now, somehow, a monk in a monastery. It doesn't happen overnight like that. It just doesn't happen. So, yeah, you want to keep reading. You want to keep working and, and toiling against your mess and all this stuff. But remember, God's doing the work in you, and with that, there's grace. So when you mess up, he's still there. He still loves you because you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up trying to put on this new identity as a Christ follower. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. So as the band comes forward, I love the way Paul ends this passage. Verse 8, Paul says, after he said who you are and putting off the old, putting on the new, he says, verse 11, look at, look at it with me. He says, here there." Is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Someone needs to hear this because you're saying, Pastor D, I followed everything you said. I, I'm with you. But this putting off the old and putting on the new in Christ, this is, this is hard. You, you don't know the old me. I don't even want that. I, I don't think God wants to owe me. I, I, I don't know if I can do that. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Listen, basically what Paul is saying in verse 11 is that we all come from different places. We all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different mess. And your mess not, may not be sexual. It may not be this. It may be your race. It may be your ethnicity. It may be that you are a racist. It may be that you, your work, you struggle with that. It, whatever it is. Paul is saying, whatever it is, whatever you come from, your background, your mess, at the foot of the cross, the playing field is level. That means no sin is higher than the other one. No mess is, is greater than the other mess. He, he's willing to accept you as is. Come to the altar is what he's saying. And no matter who you are or where you come from, when you believe, your new identity now is a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Friends, I can't tell you how freeing this was in my own story. This is one of the most freeing truths I've ever experienced. So when I came to know Jesus and I read about who I am now in Christ, that I'm loved and, and fully approved in Him, my, my identity didn't lie anymore in being fatherless. My, my identity no longer was this sex-driven athlete. I, I no longer had to prove myself and be the best at everything I put my hands to or my mind to. I no longer was the black man now looked down upon in his own country, but now I am a son of God. I'm a son of God through Jesus Christ who loved me. And I'm fully loved. And I'm fully, fully approved. That's good news. And now I need you to fill in the blank. Whatever it is 
that you struggle with, I, I don't know your story, whatever it is, whatever you might be identifying with or still identifying with, when you come to know Jesus, you're no longer that anymore, but you're now God's child. Paul says, put it all to death. Walk in your new identity. Live from that identity in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. You are truly a good God. God, we thank you for your love towards us. God, we do ask that you would continue to cover us, that we would continue to know that we are fully covered by you, that it is good news that our identity is in Christ. That whatever we struggle with, whatever we're wrestling with, whatever it was that identified us before, whatever activity, whatever we bring, God, I I thank you that at the foot of the cross is level and that we can walk in the grace and the goodness of you and your love for us. God, there may be someone in here that's saying, I've never known that love. And I want to give my life to Jesus today, God. I pray that as they confess you as Lord Jesus in their heart, that they would know and believe that they are now saved, that they're now a child of God. God, I pray for all of us that we would soak up the scriptures, be enamored with your love and your goodness towards us, and let your word and your goodness shape our lives, inform our lives, nothing else. Let us rest in your grace and your love and your truth that we are yours and you are ours. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray all these things and everyone said, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.